This is Manifest Mindset, where we delve into our true passions, inspire the best out of ourselves, and live our life with true intention every single day. All right, welcome back to another Manifest Mindset. We're back with Bob and Nick. How's everything going on your side of the, the country, Nick? You know, my side of the country, well, who knows about my side of the country, honestly. Um, I think that's a coin flip every single day, but I'm doing pretty darn well. Life is life is good right now, man. Life is good? Very good. It sounds awesome. Well, what, what about you, Bob? What's new with you, man? Um, we just had, like, a, a tropical storm hurricane thing that just passed, like, the, the northeast. Um, so right now I don't have power. Um, but I'm still on this podcast, still making it through, still hanging it there. But it's been yeah, good. Love it, man. Love it. So, is there everybody safe, though? Yeah, I mean, there are, it was, I mean, a lot of trees are falling, the power's out for a lot of places in like Queens, Long Island. Um, actually, my clinical didn't have power for the whole day, but we still, still saw patients, and we were there until like 8 o'clock. Um, wow. but I've been, I've been, it's been going good. Nice, man. You keep my candlelight, dude. Sounds romantic. Yeah, it's, it, it wasn't really that dark. It was just, there was no AC. It was just, everybody was hot in there. There's no Wi-Fi. Nothing was happening, but everything was off memory. Um, but, but it was good. It was good. We, we made it through. And, uh, hopefully today I'm going to get some motivation from you, Nick, some good inspiration. So I'm excited. Uh, We'll see what happens. So how are you doing? I know you applied to the fellowship. Um, is, is the applications finished? Did you finish with all that? Yeah, dude, application's finished. It is uh, fully 100% submitted. feels really good. Having that weight off my shoulders and having a direction going forward. And I've got, you know, plenty of time uh, before decisions are made. I don't have interviews until I believe it's going to be in early October. So we have plenty of time going down that road, my friend. I love it. And then your residency is almost over too, right? It's, it's, it ends in December. No, so mine goes until end of February. So I got some time still. I'm just about the halfway mark. Oh, wow. Okay. So it's it's going good, man. Had a mentoring this morning and dude is always a moment full of humility all the way around. Um, Learning a ton and definitely tons of room to continue improving as I go. So it's a, yeah, man, it's like, you know, every day is a little bit of a slap in the face, like, man, why didn't I catch that, man, why didn't I catch that? Um, but it's less and less mistakes each time, different mistakes each time. Um, and you got to love the process. It's great. I love it. Can you give me a specific example? Maybe something that happened this morning, last week, anything? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, okay, I'll talk to you about a patient I had um, that, let me see here. She was an email I had last week that came back for a follow-up this week. Uh, two months out after having a gnarly ankle sprain, lateral ankle sprain, um, got some ligaments pretty torn up and everything. She came in, ankle was still swell, came up in a little bit of a kind of break, um, having a hard time walking on it. Um, but her main pain, pain complaint was not the ankle area, which she did have significant pain there. Um, she had a little bit of numbness on the top of her foot. Uh, then the main pain complaint was posterior thigh sciatic nerve area. And so she was pretty irritated. Um, looking at posture and stuff, she was a little bit overweight, 
knees were kind of locked out all the way, full extension. And, you know, when I got to measuring, um, you know, ankles and stuff, definitely swelling, definitely limited dorsiflexion, limited general range, tenderness palpation on lateral ligaments, especially ACFL, especially kind of inferior pull of the um, lateral malleolus, kind of right by the uh, calcaneal fibular ligament. Um, but then her knee had nine degrees of hyperextension on the involved side versus two degrees of hyperextension on the other side. You said nine degrees versus two degrees? Nine degrees. Nine degrees. Wow. So I'm not going to pretend that the knee hyperextension was caused by the injury, right? That's the end. I don't think it doesn't happen. That's very rare for it to happen. But anyway, she had a ton of laxity in there. And when she was standing, she was standing incomplete extension. So no wonder her sciatic nerve was tensioned and kind of off start to pain and flame. And so if she's ever pointing back pain whatsoever was, you know, um, nerve tests, things like that, looking at the ankle, ankle is pretty irritated. Now, of course, this pain only started a month ago instead of two months ago with the injury. And where it started was when she returned to work. And for work, she's standing a lot of the day. She's sick of two breaks sitting here and there. Um, and so a lot of my treatment on day one for an eval was a little bit more symptom-based. And it was from the rationale saying, hey, listen, you're in hyperextension all the damn time, right? No one up for the nerve. It doesn't love it. You know that. You told me that. So let's get you out of this knee hyperextension, right? And let's decrease that. So my um, main education point to her was saying, hey, for exercise, when you're standing, literally just have your knee a little bit of a bend. Like that, that it gets the control over it. And practice that a lot. And when it practice that a little bit with walking for her, um, she was able to reinforce that decent as well. Um, but talking with, talking with my mentor about it, he's like, listen, the knee only moves if the hip or ankle moves, which obviously I know. Um, with the ankle lacking a ton of significant dorsiflexion, um, it's going to cause kind of more complications of the back. Now, she didn't really have any back pain per se, but when I did some PAs on her back, see how it moved, um, the lower lumbar segment did radiate the posterior glute and L5S1 did reproduce her dorsal foot numbness. Um, but again, and she felt relief with the back, um, just less tension, but again, no specific pain that was commented on. So I gave her some uh, repeated back exercises to help with some of those, uh, more just to kind of throw it in there to help calm down the nerve release of tension, uh, then the education of not resting in the hyperextension for her. Um, and talking with my mentor, he's, um, we got on the top of the list, listen, that was maybe what you gave her was what she needed, and maybe that was beneficial, but it was also a juvenile thought process of really chasing the pain, chasing the symptoms, and not focusing a little bit more directly on the ankle itself, not focusing a little bit more directly on pain mechanics along the way. Um, so, yeah, that was kind of an example of, like, was I able to get the results that I wanted? Sure. Or was it kind of like a eh, mediocre thought process behind it? Yeah. Okay. Interesting. So, so that, that's great. I, I loved how, like, I mean, it was a great description of the patient. It was a great description of what you did. And then what um, your, your your mentor, I guess, advised you to do. Um, so, so basically he, he or she said, like, instead of, I guess, just a better way of thinking through when presented with a case. With, with like you just like more simplified or yeah just you know and really a lot of the rationale came down to okay 
for the symptoms, which one came on first, right? Was it the ankle sprain two months ago or was it returning to work with kind of poor ankle control and some kind of compensation a month after? And obviously it's the ankle first, so that's kind of that priority you think about. Um, first, for one being causative towards the other and the reason behind it and that we can do things at the knee all day. But if we don't address the cause of it, um, then it's not going to change. And I, I mean, I completely agree with that. And again, part of my thought process at the time was we just need to kind of calm shit down before we do end up kind of restoring things, building things back up. Um, and again, it worked for this patient, but just questioning my thought process, even when I get the result I want, right? So even when I get the good result, am I biased by my results for future patients? And if so, that can be a dangerous thing when not infected. I like that. I, I like uh, I like how you're, you're taking advice from, from mentors and then applying it to, to your own scenario. Um, I, I think that, that leads me to a question. Maybe this is this is along a similar vein. Um, but, but my question is that maybe this could be like a topic we talk about today is like, when do you know when to take information and apply it to yourself? And when do you know when to just let, take the information and just let it go? Mm. Great question, Bob Chang. So, like, just just to expand a little bit, like, like maybe like you had a different mentor that told you like, maybe look at the hip first or something like that, um, and take it. You, you could take it or leave it, but but yeah, just go ahead. You, I cut you off. No, um, what I was going to say is I take nothing at face value. Um, it's the entirety is in the process of clinical reasoning. And within that process of clinical reasoning, it's discussion with the mentors for the reason behind things, the reason for why they have thoughts up to do um, and discussion on that. And I think what I've, what I've tried to have for myself over this time is take everything first, to take nothing at face value, have the discussions, but then trial it fairly, right? And part of trialing it fairly for me means that, okay, even if I don't think it's accurate, even if I don't think it's true, let me fully test that out, right? Let me flesh it out completely. So, hey, maybe, you know, I don't agree with that theory completely. Cool. Let me actually go ahead and not just kind of mentally reason through it, but let me physically see how that applies to the individual patient. Because that's where we can definitely get a lot of benefit from, a lot of understanding from are the individuals we're working with in these cases. Um, so I think for me, it's about physically testing it out, giving myself the full opportunity behind it, and just really stand back and see what happens. I like it. Because I think what stems from my question is, like, in physical therapy, there's there's so much variety of, like, how to treat one patient. And, and there's so much debate on, like, what the best treatment is. Sure. Um, and I feel like when you have you have like one training process, you have one critical thinking mind of like looking for a patient, it could be like completely different from what, from another therapist um, and so on and so on. Um, and, and I think for me, and the one I'm thinking about this question is like focusing on like one aspect and just like mastering that aspect before trying to add in other aspects. Um, so, for for example, like focusing really on 
I guess one method of screening the patient, like like if like using like the the better or worse like symptom behavior gathering with like the maintenance system and like really focusing and working on that and mastering that before like considering like the functional movement scale. I don't know if that's, that's what what are your thoughts on that? Next? Yeah, I think that that's a starting place that we have to have um, to gain to gain competency in everything. Because if we're floating between ten different things without a great understanding of any of them. Um, and I don't use the word great lightly. I mean, it's, you can have a good or average or decent understanding to really hone it in, right? To do a tiny bit dabbling in, like, 10 things that you're decent at is really doing nothing at all. Yeah. And so it's important that, like, like we said, to get a system first. And that way, as you add new systems in, you can build them up one at a time, gain context. And that's not saying that you can't gain pearls from a little bit of different things, right? Like, if you're doing more of the McKenzie-based stuff, right? Let's say you read and do more about, like, let's say the Maitland for those, uh, especially for the interview, the subjective nature, gathering information and everything, right? That is extremely pertinent to so many of our patients. Other than, let's say, okay, you want to take more of a Colton-born type approach, if you will, for, uh, well, rest in peace, old man, Freddie. Um, but to take more of a Colton-born approach to some of the things that you add in there with the McKenzie for a certain patient. Maybe you're not a master at that, but great. You've got understanding, and that can take you far. So I think that, you know, we can take little pearls, and, you know, these heuristics that we have are guiding principles and not absolutes. But I think it's really important to deeply develop our critical thinking thought process in one method at a time, get pretty darn good at it, but then take that context in the process of reasoning to others as well. Yeah. And then going back to what you were saying about like, like for for mentors like picking like testing it out yourself with with your own process with with um what that process you've been mastering like on the road of mastery, right? Is is that what you're talking about? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I think if we have an analogy here to actually treating a patient, right? And let's say that they've got um Oh, I don't know. Maybe you got some hip pain, right? Well, what? Oh, we'll look at we'll look at knee pain, right? For kind of common factors, right? I mean, Bob, for the knee pain, right? What body parts could you find impairments in that would be related to knee pain? Uh, could be the ankle, could be the yep. knee, could be the hip, could be the back. Totally. Right. And that's just like like the superficial categories, and you could easily find two or three impairments in each, right? How many times would you go ahead and let's say that you found Three different, like three different movement impairments in the, um, like two movement impairments in the hip, one strength coordination in the hip, um, in the ankle there is like a lack of like stability and then mobility in different segments in the low back. There is different like potential referred pain concepts going on, right? Would you treat like all eight to ten of those things at once? Uh, probably not. Dude, why? Why, why wouldn't you? You found all of them, right? Why wouldn't you address all of them? Well, I guess there's more, I guess, prioritize one or more than the other. Why? Well, I guess one, I mean, the, the, I don't think this is what you're looking for, but like a time factor is one. Yeah, so it's okay. So, it's, yeah, saying, hey, like, let's be realistic, right? I can't do 10 things in one day with, like, most, most methods of treatment. Cool, time factor. Totally get it. Why else? Let's say, Bob, you had two hours with the patient, right? Why would you not do... Every single thing. Oh, one, I, 
if I was the patient, I would get annoyed. Like I'm coming in for my knee. Why are you doing 10 different things for 10 different body parts? Um, okay. And also you, you also don't know like if what you're doing is affecting the like what the patient came in for. Totally. I completely agree. Right. And that's what I was trying to kind of lead you towards a little bit and ice you towards and hedge you. And I know you had that in you where one, it's like, Hey, if the patient loses their sense of trust because it looks like the therapist is dancing all around. Why is it looking like the therapist is dancing all the, all around? Because they are. And do they know what they're doing when they're dancing all around? No, this is not a smooth, sexy, flowing tango. This is like, uh, maybe cha-cha. When the cha-cha turns into like a cha-cha slide, it's like some kind of chicken dance thing that you like doing or whatever, Bob. Right? <laughs> it does, it yeah. does not flow together. It's like the, the, I think that the patient knows that the therapist is just trying, trying to like throw a lot of things at the person. Yeah, so like, and, and probably, probably well-intentioned, right? But I think yeah. too many times we talk about this before in this podcast, we treat the symptoms, and this is not a physical therapy patient thing, right? It manifests itself there. So this is like, hey, we're treating the symptoms of our own, our own lives, our own conditions, but we're not getting at the root of the issue here. And so, hey, what do I do that makes me feel good? I do this, that, and the other thing. Okay, why does it make me feel good? This, da, 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 da. Oh, this thing I kind of the sort of thought made me feel good really doesn't make me feel good at the end of the day. It's just like I thought it would like, be a different stimulus for me. So, I mean, I know we're focused on the physical therapy example here, but, but how do you know, like, what is the one that is the main cause? I know, like, if we bring it back to, like, mindset, like, instead of focusing on, on the symptoms – you focus on the main source and you do that by asking yourself, like, why am I doing this? And then you, you're asking yourself why like, constantly. And you sit down, reflect and do that. But, but physical therapy wise, I guess I'm just questioning you. I mean, I have more curiosity for my sake. How do you know yeah. like which one is, is the main source? Which I think is interesting, Bob, because, you know, we ask a lot of why questions, but then we also have to ask kind of the, how questions, the mechanism behind it, right? We have to understand that. But then not just the how questions, but it's really much the what, like what is involved, what isn't involved, and the very much like practical logistics of that. And to answer those questions, it's less about, you know, it's saying, hey, what could, what are the more likely causes, right? And part of it is, hey, for their patient complaint, for their pain, what type of pain is it, right? Where's the location? Okay, does the location match a certain stress of a joint, nerve tissue, other soft tissue in that area? So does it match? Okay, what other structures could be contributing to that? And if you had 10 hypotheses, right, which normally you shouldn't really have that many, but it's possible, um, it's easy to kind of check things off and rule them out. But you think about first, okay, what kind of meets the pattern? What are my top three things that it could potentially seriously be? But then from there, it's saying, okay, does it truly match? For my top three things or even top two things, what tests can I do? Not to tell me that, boom, 100% it's this, boom, 100% it's that. But what tests can I do to discriminate between the two? Because you can do 15, 16 different tests or whatever. Or that say, hey, they have pain here in this area, in this thing. Um, or you can do one to two tests that say, hey, if they have pain because of this or that, it should, with the right reasoning, present differently in this case. So you're trying to discriminate between the two 
for your possible sources. So your subjective takes you down to the details, and then it's your objective that takes in the actual kind of patterns that you definitely see that takes you to, okay, I think it's this versus that. Now, ultimately, we could, we could be wrong, Bob, and that's why we've always got to have these little other options, right? Keep our options open in the back of our mind to recheck later. So it's, it's getting the hypotheses and then ruling these out as you go on with therapy, either exactly. during the first visit, first visit or, or throughout the, the visits. Now, you know, if we connect I, I, I think it's more about kind of ruling out, and I think ruling out is extremely important, but it's also about ruling into it's about, you know, yes, try and prove yourself wrong by ruling it out, but definitely, you know, rule it into it, do some things that, you know, will both confirm what you're thinking and then deny others as well. Um, because it's, you know, if we talk about time as a factor, like you brought up, right? If we're trying to rule out everything under the sun, there's not time to actually make a change for the patient and make a difference. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And then if we were to tie this back to, I guess, mindset or, 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 or self-help, um, what are your thoughts about like somebody sitting down and they feel like they're, they're, they're fed up with what they're doing. They're, they're unpassionate, they're undriven. They're, they're upset every day. They're angry every day. And then they come up with hypotheses of like what's causing this. It could be like uh, my weight, my my job, my whatever. And then they like try to rule that in or rule that out as the source by changing it. But what what are your thoughts about that? Is that too extreme? Is that too big of a leap? You know, I think for that level of minutia for the detail. Probably depends on your personality type. If I'm being honest, Bob. I think okay. probably for some people, like the type A, like, hey, this is the process. This is what I go through. It works for me. And every time I get pissed off or angry or like in a severe rut in my life, I have this method, like methods and processes to go. Right? We know for more flowy type people, more easygoing type B, chill out, go with it. That's not going to be a thing. That's totally not going to work. But I'm fine carrying this analogy along to let people adapt it for themselves a little bit. So if we think about that, Bob, it's your weight, it's your job, it's your stress, all this other stuff, right? Different relationships going on. How many times do you think it's going to be there is 100% of the involvement is this one thing and 0% for everything else that you've considered? Uh, not most of the time. Not most of the time. And I do think the same thing is true for the body. It's probably more true for the body, right? But... There, there are some times where it's 100% one thing and nothing of the other, but there are a lot of times it's many little influences, and we have to decide for this moment what's the most impactful. Now, the most impactful might be 40% that's one thing, and then 20% three other things. So what do you do with it? You go for the 40%. That's the more impactful. That's the more prominent at this time to make the biggest difference. I think it goes back to saying, hey, in this area, right, we evaluate where we go next with two ways. One. What's going to make the biggest impact? Cool. Or two, what's the low, what's the kind of low-hanging fruit? What's going to be the easiest to grab, the easiest to make a change with, the easiest to reconcile? But then in an ideal world, right, we combine the looks of both of those, where that kind of ripe, juicy apple, right, that's like right there for us to grab and bite into. I, mean, I can go on food analogies all day, dude. But, <laughs> right, or like, where there are like the 50 apples there, you want to boil into an applesauce and just like chow down on them all at one time. 
Um, that might have been a reality for me at some point in time. Right? When is that? When if that match is the most impactful thing, the low hanging fruit is also the most impactful. Dude, you spend for that. You leave everything else behind. You do not care about everything else. And many times, the rest of the things will at least lower in their percentage or resolve themselves completely if you work for the thing that combines low-hanging fruit, right, the ease of access, and the most impactful. And the other cool thing is, right, Bob, like, if we study for a test, it's easy to get a 50% if you don't study. Easy to get, like, a 70% if you study a little bit. To get from a 70 to a 75, it's eh, kind of difficult, but not bad at all, really. To get from a 90 to a 95 is a lot more difficult. So if you go from the thing that you have the biggest deficit in, there's only really one direction to go. It's going to get better. Wow. I I really like that. That That's a great analogy of the the studying thing. Like, yeah. So low-hanging, low right, here's an analogy, Bob, right? Low-hanging fruit. This low-hanging fruit happens to clump together, which means when you grab a handful of it, right, there is more pieces of the fruit in proximity. This is not a blackberry bush, right? It's not where you have to pick one little thing at a time. You get a handful of thorns. No bueno. This is like, man, these are some good, thick, juicy grapevines, right? That like, someone else would be like, no, dude, just chill, just chill, wait for the wine. And we're like, no, grab the grapes. They're right there. You don't need to press them into wine. They're ready to go. You have the grapes. They've still got that like anti-cancer reversatrol element in them, right? You don't have to wait for it to become wine. Unless you want to be drunk. You're good. You got the grapes. They're in big clumps. You grab a fistful. It is a full fistful, right? And then the exact thing you need for your body was the compounds of nutrition that's in those grapes. So it's one of the most impactful because it's the nutrition you needed. Two, it's low-hanging. It's right there, easy to access. And three, when you go for it and grab them, right, there is a huge clump of it there ready for you. This is not like, oh, let me go pick, like, a tiny little tangerine at a time. I love it. I, I think that's such a great analogy. I think in in physical therapy and in, I guess, personal development. So You know, Bob, I think we should have one podcast episode one time where, like, you just come up with random situations and I have to give food analogies for it. Yeah, I, I mean, or any sort of analogies. I mean, you're, you're doing great so far, Nick. Was this made up on spot? Of course it was, dude. <laughs> I thought you had this, like, prepared. Like, you, you tell, like... Half of your patients just analogy. No, I mean, like, dude, I, of course I've used the, like, the low-hanging fruit words before. But, uh, no, this is uh, definitely. I, I really like how, like, the low-hanging fruits are, like, a bunch of fruits. And you can, like, imagine that. Even if, like, without the grapes, it's, like, apples. Like, you're grabbing apples from the tree. When you grab an apple, like, you're grabbing the whole branch. And it's, like, a bunch of apples coming down. Um. You know, I mean, I haven't been apple picking before, but but that's what I think of. Okay, we we might have to work on your food analogies, Bob, but uh, <laughs> I, I like it. I like it. if we're going the apple route, right? If we're going the apple analogy. It's like the apples. We'll go for Ithaca, right? You know the Ithaca style. We got deer everywhere when we don't want them. So the apples fall down from the tree, right? Kind of the mid end of the season, they fall down from the tree, and where the deer go? The deer go to the tree as all the apples fall on, so they can get right there, right? They got a little herd of them, little family. They're all chilling. They got, like, one buck, three does, like, eight little kids, however that, like, decides to mate with all the deer he wants to, right? Because they got the apples. They're chilling. They're good. 
low-hanging fruit. It's literally on the freaking ground. Easy to access. It's there. It's right ready to go. Yeah. No. It's, it's, uh, it's, there's a lot of apples on the floor. Yeah, it's, it's low-hanging fruit. So, so basically, let's, let's, let's tie this all together today. Um, the low-hanging <laughs> fruit, it's like um, once you, like, I guess to tie it all together is, like, majority of the work to, like, make a big impact is at the low-hanging fruit, right? Is, is that basically if we were tied, tied together, that's the sentence? Absolutely. Like, when, when we can cluster together the thing that's easy access, right? Easy access is low-hanging fruit. But then what makes impacts when you bite into that fruit, right? Is it just like, oh, it's kind of there, and, like, I can see why I was kind of left there. Nobody really wants it. Versus, oh, there's some damn good stuff. Let me get after this, right? This is the nutrition, the savory, the sweet that I needed. So it's both kind of what does that fruit do for you, right? So how impactful is it? But then how easy is it to not necessarily go for the whole thing, right? I mean, when you, well, I was about to say when you eat a watermelon, you don't eat the whole watermelon, but sometimes I do. Um, but it's like, right, when you go for it, what does that provide for you? You don't have to go through the whole thing right away, but even just to start that process. I love it. I like it. I think that's a great way to tie this episode together. We talked a little bit about physical therapy. You talked about a case, how you had humility through it, what ways to pick and choose between um, information to take in, to, to not pick up um, this low hanging fruit analogy, of like reaching for low-hanging fruits and things that matter at the same time, these two things combined will have the biggest impact for any sort of change you want um, rather than just finding those areas that you find are like, like picking one berry at a time of making that small change. Absolutely. And another point I want to drive home, Bob, about kind of my mentoring, the clinical reasoning um, that's applied to life in general. It's not that I was wrong. Right? It's not that, oh my gosh, like my head was in the gutter, like I was just way off track, right? I got the results. I got the results in the short term for that situation. But for anybody who values the process of getting better and whatever that means for you at your time and situation in your life, we can no longer evaluate ourselves based on our results. Can know, it's not good enough to say, hey, I got a good result. It must be because I did the thing right. It's no, I got a good result. Cool. Put that in the side category. Then reevaluate it. Did I do everything that I could? Because I've had plenty of situations where I really did do everything right. And it just wasn't working at the time. I've had other situations where it's like, dude, you're a little bit off track. Was there enough margin for error to reel it in and get exactly what you wanted? Yeah, totally. And that's in life and physical therapy. Wow, I love it. That's great. Nick, let's touch upon um, accountability real quick. So last week you wanted, you had a lot of things to study for. You were just pretty much studying, right? Yeah, so for me, the accountability is primarily uh, figuring out logistics for getting my uh, my course all set up for the weekend. Yep. And because that was at, uh, my, it was the Exos course that was run online through my, I kind of had it at my other private clinic. Dude, it was a freaking blast. Loved every moment of it. Um, tons of fun. We got a big workout at the end of it, too. Um, 
real good kind of athletic, full body, applicable things. Nice. Awesome. And you, my friend. Uh, my my accountability was to finish my book. It was pretty good. I, I finished the last like eighty something pages of it. Um last sometime last week. And then I actually signed up for like a, a prep course for the the, the board exam. So nice. That's that's so my plan. What did uh what, what company did you sign up for or through? Uh Final Final Frontier. Is that Final okay. Frontier? Cool. Have you have you heard of that? I have not. I just uh I went the classic route and just did score builders and O'Sullivan for mine. Yeah, I I did the score builders thing. I was like I need more structure to oh, feel yeah, more totally. confident. Yep. So score builders is like, hey dude, that covers like a broad area, right? It gets your breath and it's like, oh, that's a topic I haven't thought of as much. Let me make sure I dig deeper in that. Yeah. So I, I wanted a little bit more structure, so I signed up for a course. So my goal next week for me is to just attend, do all the read, assigned readings for the week and watch the courses. It's going to be like two courses a week or two like online classes a week. Attend them and then take notes for all of them and then report back next week and, and have something more tangible or, or another more goal, I guess, business-oriented for next week. I like it. Do you have anything, Nick? You know, Bob, I think for me, um, the intention is not a cop-out for this, but I think, like, I've had a lot of good periods of, like, hey, really push with it, push, like, do a lot of stuff. Um, out of kind of the four, like, the eight, like, for the – all the weekends here in August, right? Out of the kind of eight weekends, weekend days, um, seven of them we have like residency classes for. Um, and then with me working the other five days a week, it's definitely really busy. Um, so I think for me, it's just kind of taking a step back, taking my own time just to reflect, um, make a kind of little, just a, a carve a tiny, a few minutes of extra time just for myself for enjoyment uh, every single day more than I otherwise would. And that's important. And like play is in part is is an important part of recovery and getting after the the next after you're done. So I like it next. Absolutely. All right, my dude. Until next time, Bob. I'll see you next time.